Good to see you. You may be seated. And welcome to those of you over in Appleton this morning and Stevens Point. Good morning to all of you. And uh, thanks for being at Celebration Church and worshiping together with us. As you came in today, we are giving out some of these booklets uh, talking about our new capital campaign that we're launching. I mentioned it back in February that uh, we were going to move on. Time to do something significant for the kingdom of God for here at Celebration Church. And, uh, and we're launching this now. It's the first time we've ever actually done a capital campaign. We've, I've done our, we've done a little year-end, you know, extra fundraiser type thing, nothing dramatic. But uh, this is uh, the first time we're actually doing something big. And one of the reasons people have, you know, asked me for some time, you know, how come we haven't done a big capital campaign because uh, every church that you see anywhere as you drive along, they all did this. That's how they got there in the first place. Um, any nonprofit organization, YMCs, whatever, they all do capital campaigns, ask people to join together with them to raise the funds to build their organizations. Uh, we've uh, not really done that because a lot of what we were doing was kind of experimental in the beginning. And we wanted to make sure that the direction God was leading us, at least that we thought God was leading us, was, was going to actually work. And as I shared with you a few months ago, it has worked. It's been pretty dramatic. What has happened over these last five years? How many lives have actually been touched by God through the ministry of this church? And as we've grown, not only here, but also on the West Side campus we started, and uh, uh, starting the Appleton campus, of course, the Stevens Point campus was already in play, the Latino campus, uh, as our online uh, campus now that we're doing, uh, people watching all over the world. Uh, people actually, I don't know how they find us, but they watch and they, they get touched by this. We just got a letter from somebody, uh, Topeka, Kansas, or someplace in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> who said, uh, I, I, I found you guys on the internet and I watched your service and I gave my life to Jesus Christ for the first time. I mean, he, he was ecstatic, exclamation points, how incredible he felt his life had changed just because he was able to tune in and experience that, as well as all the people who watch us on television and stuff. So uh, the church has continued to grow. When we first started out, our goal was to build a church that, you know, our main goal was that people would experience God in their lives and that we would teach the Bible to them. Not just suggestions for how to cope in life, but how to succeed in life through the scriptures, okay? The Bible calls us, we're supposed to be more than conquerors in, through Christ, okay? And that doesn't mean you don't have challenges. We all have challenges, but we want to show people how to succeed over the challenges. Jesus said that he who overcomes will sit with me in, in heaven. So don't be mad or feel frustrated if you have things to overcome in your life. You cannot be an overcomer if you don't have something to overcome. That's why only married people will get to heaven. <laughs> Just teasing. Uh, so that was our emphasis. And we wanted to take a church and, uh, and do a mix of traditional, contemporary, uh, some... Uh, evangelical practices, some traditional practices, like what we just did with the Apostles' Creed. Some people say, well, you're an evangelical church. Only, you know, Lutherans and Catholics and stuff say the Apostles' Creed. Why do you do that? It's because uh, we want to drill into particularly our young people, the next generation, the fundamental truths of Christianity. 
evangelical Christianity, which is what we're part of, the non-Catholic, non-Lutheran you know, groups, uh, has done a pretty abysmal job of this. We create programs that kids like going to, and they come and they sing and they play and they do this and they have hot dog eating contests and da 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 da, da. But studies have shown over the last few years that 80% of the young people raised in churches like ours by the second year in college totally give up on their faith. Well, that's horrible. I mean, can you imagine going to a doctor where 80% of the people came out dead? I think you'd quit going, right? So one of the things you got to hand about the mainline churches, at least they're always drilling, drill, 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 drill. And that's why we do this. These are the fundamental truths. We say it every Sunday. We stand up and say it. And uh, to get into this is what we believe. This is who we are. These are the key elements of our faith. We also wanted to do a church where people could just be real. Be yourself. You don't have to be something that you're not. You don't have to come here and pretend to be something that you're not. If your life stinks, come to church and tell people your life stinks. You don't have to pretend to be something that you're not. Be real. Get rid of all the plastic Christianity. We wanted to start a church where there would be no politics. And the way our organization is structured and our constitution and bylaws, there are no buttons you can push where you can get a bunch of people together and vote on this, that, or the other and create all this political nonsense. We just don't do that. We wanted to build a church that was very strong on families. And uh, we're very strong about that here, about helping couples to succeed. Husbands to actually love their wives and their children. Mothers to love their children, still love their husbands, you know. All of us still love our children. Um, all of these things, these emphasis that we've had, we're very strong on that here because we want to build strong families. If we can have a strong families, we can have a strong church and just create multi-generational faith. You know, it's great to fix people, but how about we help people not break in the first place? That's what we're trying to do with the next generation. Get them to do life right so they don't go down the rat hole a lot of us have been through. Um, we wanted to create a church that it was more about the whole than its individual parts. That is a challenge. It's still a challenge, and we will continue to emphasize this. One of the knocks, I mean, one of the great things about evangelical Christianity is we get back to the basics of the Bible and about experiencing God. We're very big. You need to have a personal experience with God. You need to have a personal encounter with Christ. Evangelical churches have been great about that. But we stay in that mode of just your personal experience and God's blessing you and getting your prayers answered all about you, 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 and your ministry and what you're And we've created, by and large, a very weak church in America today where it's very narcissistic. And we have churches that are made up of just a bunch of individuals who try to get what they want, whatever they want it. And if they're not happy, for whatever reason, they're out of here. And, uh, and that happens over and over and over and over. 400,000 churches in America, mostly of our kind. 80% uh, of them have 100 people in them or less. That's about as many people as you can get together that all think the same and agree about stuff. And where individuals can shine. <clears throat> People would rather be in a very small pond and be the biggest fish in the small pond. We've created this very narcissistic thing where if I'm not doing my ministry and what I want to do, then they're out of here. And it's sad. And uh, we just need to grow past that. And uh, hopefully people will start to understand this is more about the church. This is more about the organization. It's more about being part of a family, about something being bigger than myself, which is challenging. We've just, we live in a Western culture where it's all about the individual. Everybody's just, ah, 
You know, I got to get what I got. All right, that's America. It is what it is, but it shouldn't be that way in the church. The church should be about how can I serve you? What can I do to be a blessing to you? If it's being quiet, then I'll be quiet. If it's being loud, then I'll be loud. If it's being in charge, I'll be in charge. If it's not being in charge, I won't be in charge. That is the kind of attitude that we want to foster in this church. That it's more about the goal than it is about every little individual person getting everything they want at any given time. And that's a challenge. Still working on it. We'll continue to work on it. Uh, we want a church where, uh, and by the way, I love it when people don't like things around here, but yet they're really committed to here. I love it when someone says to me, oh, I hate the way we do such and such, but I'm not going anywhere. I think it's great. Or I hate those songs we sing. Cool. You know, because you don't have to worry because they're not going anywhere. They're just saying, I don't like it, da 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 I mean, there's one of the things you got to hand to the Catholics. I mean, God bless the Catholics. You know, at least they stick around. You know what I'm saying? They go to their church. Whether it's good or bad, they go to their church. You know? Now, sometimes people listen to me, Catholic. I know Catholics who listen to me and they get mad at me because I say something that's not Catholic. Hello? I'm not Catholic. Recently had somebody see me on TV because I said something about, I don't know, saints or something. I can't believe you say that about, hello, we're not Catholic. All right? I mean, we hate anybody, but we're not Catholic. We don't do all that stuff. So, uh, you know, but you you got a hand to them. I mean, there's people in the Catholic Church who are still mad because in the 1960s they quit doing the Mass in Latin. But they're still in church. Right? You got a hand to them. They're committed to it. I mean, God bless them. Evangelicals, good Lord, if they're not happy every 12 seconds, ah, they're running out the door. Starting another church of 50 people. We need to stop the crazy, for heaven's sakes. The one Lutheran guy, God bless him. He's talking about his church. How's your church? Oh, our pastor's horrible. He's terrible. He's so boring. Good Lord. Blah, blah. I don't know what he's saying. It's just just terrible. Really? How long has he been there? 20 years. (laughs) 20 years. Yeah. We're excited. He's getting ready to retire. Well, I hear that and I think that's fabulous. Evangelical churches, are you kidding me? Three sermons in a row they don't like? You can stuff it. <laughs> and they're out to start another church of 25 people. Honestly, that has got to stop. All right, moving on. We want a church that we can affect the world. We want a church where everybody doesn't have to look, think, and sound the same. Everybody doesn't have to vote the same. Everybody doesn't have to be the same color. Everybody doesn't have to be the same anything. Churches, you know, again, that's why there's so many little churches of 100 people. That's about as many people as you can get together that think the same. They think, oh, we're really, we're really a credit to God. That's not a credit to God. You get a bunch of people who are all the same color, make the same amount of money, vote the same way. How's that a credit to anything? Jesus said even thieves love thieves. They're probably always watching their back pocket, but they love each other. The credit is when you get a bunch of people who don't agree about everything and they still love each other. Hallelujah, there you go. Some of you are Democrats, some of you are Republicans, some of you might be communists running around here, I don't care. Some of you have money, some of you don't have any money. Some of you are all dressed up this morning, some of you came in what you slept in last night. I don't care. Some of you are all real conservative, some of you got tattoos from head to toe. I assume I don't want to see. 
Who cares? That's not to the credit if you get a whole bunch of people look and think the same. The beauty of this church is we're trying to get people together who don't agree about everything. But yet we agree on the basics, the fundamentals, putting Christ first and serving God and serving one another. And doing this multi-site thing, this experiment that we've done here in Wisconsin, which a lot of people scream bloody murders that you can't do it, you can't, it'll never work in Wisconsin. Wisconsin people will never do it. You can do it down south in the Bible, but you can't do it up here. Well, we stepped out and apparently you can do it up here. And it's been wonderful. And I love it up here. I love, the thing about, love about Wisconsin people is, I mean, the weather bites. <laughs> but you got to love the people. They're honest, open people. They say what they're going to do and they do what they say. And I love that. You know, God bless the Bible Belt. You guys watching down in the Bible, peace. But I've been down there. These are the people that just say, oh, bless your darling little heart while they're stabbing you in the back. Oh, God bless you. Hallelujah. Just, at least in Wisconsin, if they're going to stab you, you know it coming straight, straight on. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they're open and honest. I'd rather talk to honest people. I love preaching up here. And I speak all over the world. I love coming home and preaching here. Because there's people open and honest and they just want to experience God and do things that are right. And I love it. And yes, we have done it here, and it's been fabulous. And now it's time. We have proven this. The way we're doing church works, and it is possible. And it's thriving, and it's growing, and lives are being changed by this, and it's fabulous. We want to increase the broadcast capabilities of the church. We want to do more outreach so more people know that we're even here. I know everybody thinks we're here because we're probably the biggest church in town, and we're on TV and stuff, but most people don't know who we are. I'm stunned at how many people will say, what church do you go to? Celebration Church? Where's that? Really? I thought everybody knew, but they don't. People don't. There's lots of people who don't know who we are. Let's reach out to them. We need some capital improvements. In Stevens Point, the Appleton, Westside facilities, and uh, refinance this facility here, which will save us a lot of money. Our goal for this capital campaign uh, is $2.5 million over the next two years. This is not just a one weekend deal. Hallelujah. Some people clapping. Yes. You say, oh, that's, that's too much. You'll never get that much out of Wisconsin people. Nonsense. There was a church our size in Appleton that just completed a $22 million campaign and raised every penny of it. Holy stinking cow. We're just going for a tenth of that. All right? We can do this. Wisconsin people, Wisconsin salaries down there, same our size, $22 million. We're just going for two and a half. We can do this. And we're excited about it because when we do this, it'll make a big difference. In this booklet that you have, it explains it to you. Plus, you have this fabulous poster of me. <laughs> you put that up on the wall. Uh, actually, my wife and I were laughing. One of the, one of the things they do down in, in the South for some reason, don't they do this? Is they take pictures of the pastor and his wife, and they're plastered everywhere. We go and they got pictures of, of the pastors in the rooms and the walls. And we just laugh. We can't imagine us doing that. But I thought it'd be hilarious to do it. <laughs> big cutouts of us everywhere around the building. Just, that's the South. Anyway. Uh, so anyway, but in here, it's not the picture, about, about the pictures, about the campaign, the program, what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, and our goal over the next uh, uh, two years. Now, we're going to start out, the little booklet is just a prayer booklet. Very simple. Little, like here's Monday's devotional. Very simple. You read through this and this little prayer at the end. Uh, but then pray about this all day long. Every time you take a break, every time you think about God bless this church, help us see what we can do. What can I do? What can we do as a family to make a difference, a significant difference in this church? Because, and we're going to do this for three weeks. We're just going to pray. We need to pray. God answers prayer. 
The number one reason people don't get answers to prayer, they don't pray. They whine, bellyache, complain, panic, but they don't pray. If you pray, you'll find out God actually answers prayer. So that's what we're going to do. Look, if we can do this together, we can do it. And I got to tell you, it's really to your credit. And I said this uh, a few weeks ago when I first talked about this. You guys are the ones who made this possible. Anybody can get up and say, oh, I got an idea. Lots of people do that, and their ideas die and go nowhere. You guys are the ones. When you look at these videos and stuff we're going to be showing you over the next few weeks of the lives that have been changed and transformed, and some of the stories, they're rather dramatic. Uh, this organization that we've built, all this has happened because you got behind the vision and the dream. And God bless you for it. Uh, and we're asking you to continue to join with us. Anybody who's ever accomplished anything significant, it's never been done by one person, it's done by people who gather together. Which is what I want to look at in the Bible here real briefly this morning, and then we'll let you go. I wanted to look at the life of David, or just a little piece of David, King David. We all remember David, right? David and Goliath. It starts out, David is coming to visit his brothers because there's this big battle that's supposed to happen. It hasn't happened. For 30 days or 40 or whatever it's been, they've been lining up every day. The Israelites and the Philistines lining up and they'd yell at each other and then they'd break for lunch and come back and do it every day. That's what they do. Nobody would move. Nobody would take an action. Why? It was one of these things when they looked, they saw it was a complete standoff. Nobody was going to be able to prevail over the other. And they were afraid to take the first step. Even the Philistines knew they couldn't. But they did have this one big yo mama guy called Goliath. Big guy. So he, they knew about the standoff. So he basically offered a, a solution. He said, I'll tell you what. You send somebody to fight me. If I win, you guys surrender. If he wins, we'll surrender. Well, the Israelites freaked out. Oh, who's going to fight this guy? I mean, this guy's massive. And they just kept doing this every day. And he's yelling and cursing and challenging them to try and break this log jam. Well, David comes along and he hears this. And he says, I'll kill that guy. Because everybody makes fun of him. He's a 17-year-old guy. He says, what are you talking? You don't know anything. And uh, he might have been even younger than that. We don't know. Uh, but uh, so he goes to the king. And the king, he says, the king, I can take this guy. Let me take him. And the king said, you, you can't take him. You're, you're a kid. And this guy's been fighting. You know, he's huge. Uh, finally, the king says, okay. Now, you got to wonder, why did the king say, okay? Because you got to figure the guy's going to die. All right? <laughs> Nobody thought David had a chance. I think the king, he just wanted a break in the logjam, something to happen. Maybe he thought, we'll send this kid out there, he'll get chopped to pieces, and our guys will get so mad, they'll run and start fighting. Or so, who knows? So anyway, he said, okay, go for it. So David comes out onto the field. Well, when Goliath sees it, he's infuriated because he's sending this little punk kid out to take him on. He starts cursing and screaming, how dare you insult me? I'm going to tear this kid from limb to limb. He starts coming at the kid. Well, David, you know the story, the sling, throws a rock, hits him so hard in the head, it knocks the guy out. And then David gets up and takes the guy's sword and cuts off his head and holds up his head, which is a little gross. But uh, when, uh, when the Israelites saw it, they went, yeah! And the Philistines saw it, they went, ah! And they ran, and they ran after him, and they had this big victory and stuff. Well, now David's famous. Now David becomes the leader of this group uh, of, of the fighting men, and he is a butt-kicking machine. He did this as a young guy. By the time he turns into a young man and more experienced, he is unstoppable. 
no fear, and the skill of his fighting is stunning. I would love if Hollywood would actually do a movie about David that's actually accurate. The last one, because David, he was a killing machine. The last attempt was, you know, Richard Gere. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so, all right? Pretty boy Richard Gere, it was not David. So David was like, he's like Arnold Schwarzenegger and, you know, Sylvester Stallone and Bruce Lee all into one. This guy was unreal. And, and I wish someone would just play out the battles and stuff because it's stunning. And the Bible talks about some of these incredible odds that they'd go into and how they just would triumph constantly. But he didn't do it alone. And at one point, the Bible stops and starts mentioning some of the people that joined him. He, they mentioned 30 guys by name. He had other guys. But what David had done is he inspired others to join him. And a lot of them were greater fighters than even he was. It wasn't always about the one guy. Nothing is ever done with the one guy. It's when people join together, inspired together, encouraging each other. And then in this part, uh, it talks about these 30 guys. He names them. And then he talks about just three of them, the three top guys that were like the top butt kickers in David's group. So I want to read this. This is uh, reading in 2 Samuel 23, verse 8. These are the names of David's mighty wars, these three guys. Joshab, whatever his name is, you read it, was chief among the three. He's the head butt kicker, all right? And his claim to fame is one day he raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. Wow, I mean, I hope they have instant replay in heaven because I want to see this. One spear against 800 guys. They didn't have guns and stuff back then. It was just mano y mano, man. And they would fight, and this guy, is, these 800 guys are coming, and he kills them all. Wow. Even greater than anything David had done. The next to him, it says, was Eleazar, son of Dodai. He was also one of the mighty three. Now, he was with David one time when they taunted the Philistines gathered at Pastamin for battle. Then the Israelites retreated. So here's the story. The Israelites and David, they're all, the Philistines are over there and they're taunting them. And they're egging them on. And finally the Philistines get so irritated, they go running to kill him. And, the, and David and everybody split. Ah! And they take off. Except for one guy. And that was this Eleazar. So it says here, but Eleazar stood his ground. Now, I don't know how long it took for him to realize everybody had left. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, all right, come on. Here they come, guys. Where is everybody? Everybody took off. <laughs> but he, the Bible says he stood his ground. And he engaged in battle with this guy with a sword. He kills them all. The Bible says that he fought until his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. He locked up. His hand had locked up. You know, I don't know how many hours he was at this. But finally, all the other guys come back and says they return, but only to strip the dead. You know, they come back, just Eliezer standing here with all these guys and probably saying, could someone help me out here? <laughs> I can't get the sword off. Uh, you know, wow. Again, even greater than David. David took off running. This guy stuck around. Well, he inspired Shema. The next guy who did the same thing. He said, well, this other guy can stand his ground. I can stand my ground. There's one thing about when people start doing something significant, it inspires people. Enthusiasm is very contagious. Passion is contagious. The more excited you are about doing something together, the more contagious it becomes, the more we can affect people's lives. The Bible says that we are to provoke and inspire one another until love and good works. 
Sadly, we pretty much just provoke each other. <clears throat> but we're supposed to do it to a positive way. So anyway, the next is Shammah. So he's the son of Agi, whatever his name is. The Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils. Israel's troops fled from them. Same deal. Ah, they take off, including David. But Shammah took his stand in the middle. He didn't want to, you know, not keep up with Eleazar. And he defended it and, and struck them all down. These were incredible men. Men who would take on hundreds of other men. These weren't the Girl Scouts of America. These were other men who were trained killers all their lives. Hundreds of them would be defeated by these men one at a time. Incredible men. But they had such passion. It's one of the reasons David was able to do what he did in building that kingdom. And it ends with this little story about these three guys. Check this out. It says, now during harvest time, three of these 30 chief warriors came down to David, these three guys. David's at the cave of Adullam while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. At that time, David was in the stronghold and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem, which is David's hometown. David's from the city of David. That's Bethlehem. That's where Jesus was born. Because Messiah was going to be born in the city of David. Bethlehem, okay? Well, Bethlehem is being held by the enemy. David's on the other side. They got to fight this all out. At one point, in verse 15, it says, David longed for water. And he says out loud, he doesn't even know if anybody's listening, oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So he's just talking. Well, the three guys, these three major butt kickers, overheard him, and they said to each other, he wants some water. All right, let's go get it. <laughs> so these guys went out, just the three of them, and headed to Bethlehem to go get some water. Well, it says here that the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well, and carried it back to David. So check it out. These guys go, three of them against the entire, they break through the lines. I mean, the Philistines are thinking, who are these crazy guys? Come, nobody can stop them. They bust through. They go get water, and now carrying a pail of water, they got to fight their way back. And they break through. And they bring the water to David. Now, the next part is kind of weird. Because it says that David refused to drink it. And instead, he poured it out before the Lord. I got to tell you. If I risk my neck to get Lathan a glass of water <laughs> and he dumps out the water, I'm going to kill Lathan. <laughs> but for some reason, well, David, he knew the sacrifice that had gone behind this and he thought he wasn't worthy of such sacrifice. So <laughs> he pours it out. But you got to hand it to these three guys. Oh, Lord that we might be surrounded with men and women, mighty men and women who have an attitude when they hear the vision, when they hear the dream, their response is, we can do it. We can do it. Let's go do it. And that's what I hope will happen in this church with this campaign, that you will join me as men and women, not to advance anybody or to enrich anybody, but to build this church and to advance the kingdom of God so we can touch thousands of other people's lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the encouragement of the scriptures. Thank you for these mighty men who did such incredible things. Father, we know that when people become of one heart and one mind, 
nothing becomes impossible to them. Lord, help us to have that unified vision together that we can join our resources and be willing to make the sacrifices necessary to do something significant, to build a church that we can enjoy for years, that our children and our grandchildren can be blessed in as well. Thank you, Father, for it. Inspire our hearts, we pray, with this vision. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. We can do this.